All right, well, you can open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Uh, we're looking at a message tonight entitled, Holding Fast to the End. Holding Fast to the End. We've looked at Holding Fast from the beginning, Daniel chapter 1. We've looked at Holding Fast when no one else does, Daniel chapter 3, and tonight, we're looking at holding fast to the end. Have you guys ever heard of a guy named Ryan Leaf? Most of you probably haven't, and it's for a good reason. Ryan Leaf's name is now associated with letdown. Following his junior season at Washington State, in which he was a Heisman finalist, he was drafted by the San Diego Chargers. We're talking about football here for anyone that's a little behind. With the second pick of the draft, they gave up two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and Eric Metcalf, who's a famous guy, to trade up and ensure that they would be able to draft either Ryan Leaf or Peyton Manning. Now, Peyton Manning it will go down as one of the greatest uh, quarterbacks of all time, they picked Ryan Leaf, and you all know how that paid off. After picking Leaf, Ryan Leaf, they, he proved to be a locker room cancer who never took responsibility and never enjoyed any level of success in the NFL. After being drafted in 1998, he was out of the league by 2002. And just recently, Ryan Leaf was arrested on burglary and drug charges. Now, now it's an interesting story. We don't rejoice at Ryan Leaf's, uh, you know, progress. But I think it's an interesting story to think about. You know, with all the expectation of who this quarterback might have been, they even picked him over Peyton Manning. Now, a good beginning never ensures a strong ending. A good beginning never ensures a strong ending. And as we look at Daniel, now in chapter 6, we opened up our camp with him in Daniel chapter 1 when he was uh, a young man, uh, most likely in his later teen years. And we see, we, we don't see him in what we looked at this morning. He was off doing his uh, affairs for the king. Uh, in Daniel chapter 3, we got to meet his friends. And now as we come to Daniel chapter 6, we don't find him as a young man, but we find him most likely in his 80s. You see, when we think about Daniel and the lion's den, at least in my mind, and in the storybooks that I remember reading, and the stories I remember hearing, you don't think that Daniel is an old man. You think about him as a young man. But you see, Daniel in the story of Daniel in the lion's den, to which we will be studying today, is an old man. He is in his 80s. And even then, we see from beginning to end, he lived a life held fast to the Lord. Let's pray. Fathers, we read about this classic story. This story that is taken and so often used, and rightfully so, to teach young children about the ways of the Lord. We pray now, as some of us might be familiar with this story, that you would give us fresh eyes and fresh perspective. Maybe we've heard the story, but have we ever studied it? Lord, as we study it tonight, study your word, we pray that you would bring the truth to life, and you bring us the proper application for our life. God, we look to you to teach us in this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, we pick it up here in Daniel chapter 6, where as I mentioned, Daniel is an old man. Uh, we think back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, which is the theme verse, which is what Pastor David taught us last night, when we see where Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself within the godless and pagan culture he found himself in. Well, now as we come to this last chapter, within the historical context of Daniel, you see, Daniel doesn't end until uh, the 12th of 
or the 13th chapter. I can't remember off the top of my head. But chapter 6 is the end of the historical account. The next chapters in the book fit into the earlier years of Daniel. Daniel 6 really is the end of the book. And we find that Daniel's grip on the Lord has not loosened one bit. He is holding fast just as he did when he was young. You see, this was a lifetime of holding fast to his God-given convictions. He not only survived decades within a godless pagan culture, but he thrived. There's a difference. He didn't just survive and make it through. No, he thrived. We know that during Daniel's lifespan, he would have gone through four different pagan kings that he would have been elevated to a position of power and influence. He would have gone not only through four different kings who didn't believe in his God, but he would have gone through even kingdom transitions uh, where a kingdom would literally take over another kingdom and yet Daniel would still yet again be placed in a place of position. He didn't just survive, he thrived. And we're going to look at his example of how did Daniel thrive in a culture that sought to remove the God of the Bible. Because you and I are more and more living in a culture, a society, where we are removing, sorry, have removed God from the elements of our society. And so what we're going to look today, you can note it down, we're going to look at three ways that Daniel held fast to the end. Number one, you can note it down, Daniel held fast by his reputation. By his reputation. We see this in verses 1 through 5. Why don't you uh, read along with me as I read verses 1 through 5. Daniel 6 says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. To be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors. Of whom Daniel was one. That the satraps might give account to them. So that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So we end chapter 5, which we simply don't have time to get into tonight. We end chapter 5 where a new king comes to town. It's not Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and there's actually two, uh, one or two kings in between them. Uh, and a kingdom takes over Babylon, right? Nebuchadnezzar, what we've been learning about the last two studies, he's done with, okay? Uh, he is dead by this time. Uh, the kingdom has now uh, had a takeover by the Medo-Persian Empire under the rule of King Darius. Everyone say King Darius. Uh, he is, the, he is the, now the most powerful man in the world. Remember how Tate was saying that Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful He's dead and gone. Now Darius is the man. And we're told that there in verse 1, upon this takeover, look in your own Bibles, we're told that Darius appoints 120 satraps. That's a really fun word to say. Everyone say satraps. Uh, it is a word that we don't use. Uh, it is a word that describes an official. Uh, but it's more like an official who, think about it like a mayor, okay? Because we're told that he sets... He appoints 120 satraps or mayors. And then over those 120 mayors, satraps, he puts three governors. Right? Governors have more power than a mayor. And that's kind of what we see here and is the dynamic. And so we see that out of the 120 people he appoints, he puts three governors over them. And all these people rule the empire. Daniel happens to be one of the three governors appointed by Darius. 
and he does this so things will be taken care of. Daniel is in a great place of prominence and power. Now it's at this point, look there in your Bibles in verse 3, that we see that Daniel, what the Bible tells us, begins to rise above the rest. We're told there in verse 3 that he distinguishes himself. This word distinguished, uh, it's a word that we are kind of familiar with, but maybe don't use in our everyday language. But this word distinguish, it means to mark something as different. It's to be marked with a with quality. It, it implies a reputation of excellence among a group of peers. Uh, for example, maybe some of you have gone to a school and on that school uh, it said that it was a distinguished school. And they would like promote that and this was like an award that they had won because they were distinguished. Or maybe if you're like, I'm homeschooled. Okay, uh, then, may, then maybe your, your mom and dad, I have nothing against homeschoolers, by the way. Okay, i just moving for the illustration. Okay, uh, but maybe your mom and dad, right, uh, whatever work they do, they came home with a distinguished award. Meaning that they did something that caused their boss to say, you deserve something from the rest. Or maybe... In elementary school, you, were, you got student of the month, and you were distinguished within the school. Does, does that make sense? And you see, Daniel began to distinguish himself that, yes, there were the three governors, the 120 mayors, but he began to just rise above them. Where it began to be clear in the mind of Darius, there's something different. We're told that he had an excellent spirit. Look at verse 3 an excellent spirit, that his spirit was extraordinary, beyond what is usual, exceptional, outstanding. You see, the reason that Daniel began to be distinguished among the people he worked with was because he didn't do anything half-hearted. Daniel went above and beyond of what was expected of him. He didn't just do what he had to do, but he came in early and stayed late, and the boss, Darius, began to notice. This word, excellent, there in verse 3, is the same word that we actually looked at earlier. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 22, tells us this. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly, that's that same word, excellent, exceedingly hot, the flame of those fire. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar turned up that heat seven times? That word exceedingly is the same word excellent, that there is something just altogether different about Daniel. But we must ask the question, where did this come from? How did Daniel get this type of reputation? Why was he distinguished in excellence? What made him different than the rest? You know, Daniel was a government dignitary. What does that mean? He was a government official. Uh, he, he worked. He, he, wasn't, he, didn't work, he wasn't like working in a church. He wasn't working in the temple. He was working, and he was a high-ranking government official. He was among the top four rulers in the whole empire. Yet Daniel, the difference was that Daniel not, not only worked for King Darius, but he worked for the king of kings. See, his motivation was beyond himself. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Though these are New Testament verses I'm going to share with you, uh, Daniel seemed to live these. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, I think the best explanation is that the difference for Daniel was that his motivation was beyond himself. You see, these other two governors, these other mayors that he worked with, their motivation was self. It was self-promotion. It was self-exalting. It was self-furthering. But Daniel's was for the Lord. And we know that from day one, from Daniel chapter one. Colossians chapter three, verse 23 and 24 tells us, and whatever you do, do it heartily with your whole heart. That's what that means. As to the Lord and not to men, knowing 
that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Because God was his motivation for whatever he did, whether he was a government official or whatever else he did in his life, he did it unto the Lord. We saw the same thing happen with Joseph. You guys know Joseph in the Bible? Right? He's the guy that got the, many, the coat with many colors. Uh, he got uh, you know, disowned by his brothers and uh, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, uh, wrongfully accused, thrown into prison. And you see, though, by the end of Joseph's life, him elevated to this position of unbelievable power, where it seemed that God was with him every step, where he just kept rising up and it's interesting because if you look at the story of joseph it just always talks about how the it says that the lord was with joseph but we know from scripture that the only way that the lord was going to be with joseph was if joseph was going to be with the lord and so i think the same thing applies here with daniel he was with the lord in everything he did i want you guys to listen when your motivation is the lord then you don't do it half-heartedly. And I don't care what you are doing. I don't care if you're a high-ranking official. I don't care if you're doing your math class. I don't care if you're doing a chore you hate at home. That when your motivation is the Lord, you live with wholeheartedness. And I believe that if, he, if you can make him your motivation in whatever you do, God will begin to make you rise from the rest. You'll begin to be distinguished. And not for your glory, but for God's. By the end of the story, you, it'll be very clear that Daniel's not the one that gets the glory. It's all the Lord. Well, it's at this point that the other rulers begin to notice. Right? These other mayors and governors, they begin to see, hey, Daniel's Darius's favorite. Oh my gosh, what, how is he getting all those distinguished awards and uh, promotions and time off and pats on the back and it's at this that they begin to search daniel's life they begin to find anything what can we take him down with they sought to cancel him they hired private investigators they they tapped his phone they used alexa to spy in on him they found nothing they did whatever they could they they, they went into every nook and cranny of daniel's life and we're told that they found nothing, no skeletons in the cl closet, no dirt. Look there, we're told that they could find no charge or fault. You guys see that in verse 4? They could find no charge or fault. I want you to note this down. When it says that they couldn't find a charge, it means they first went to the Medo-Persian uh, law. And they began looking, has he broken any laws according to government standards? No. Okay, no charge, no, no legal basis for accusation. What about his personal life? Let's, let's go to like the moral basis. I, is he trustworthy? Has he lied before? Has he cheated on his taxes? Has he, has he covered something up? They, they looked through his Instagram feed all the way at the bottom. They, they couldn't find nothing. No charge, no fault. Now, in today's world, this seems to be unheard of. You know, when politicians run for office, and there's always something they find in their past. They always find a, a weird-looking picture, an audio clip that's inappropriate. They find it because they literally, right, the, the opposing candidate hires people to wreck this person. Daniel was faultless why well look we're told we're told that daniel was faithful look at verse four it says they couldn't find anything because he was faithful there was no error nor fault found in him did this mean daniel was a perfect man no but was he blameless yes and i want you to understand there is a difference there's a difference from being perfect and blameless we can't be perfect but we are expected to be blameless. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 says, abstain from every form of evil. I want you to note down that word form, it's the word appearance. That the Bible would say, even if it looks evil, you might say, I was innocent, I didn't do it. 
but someone has a picture and it just looks bad. Do not blame them. There's an accusation able to be thrown against you. You see, perfection is not the expectation. But what about you in your life? Are there things in your life that if someone were to hire people to dig up dirt on you, are you blameless? Perfect. But blameless. See, for Daniel, his motivation was the Lord. See, Daniel didn't abstain from every appearance of evil because he wanted to do such a good job in the Persian Empire. He just cared so much for Darius, and he, no. His motivation was to hold fast because it was for the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Do you look at every day that you live for the Lord? You see, without God on the forefront of your mind daily, you won't hold fast very long. I believe most of you are going to leave this mountain clutching onto Jesus. How long would that last? Will it just be Monday that you kind of start to loosen? Tuesday, a little bit less. A little bit less on Wednesday. And by next week, camp is just a fun time. See, I don't want that. I want you to go home Monday and begin to invest into what you started here. That that grip might go deeper and deeper. Now, after finding nothing, I want you to notice the conclusion. Look at verse 5. Look at what they come to. They say, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. I want to read that one more time. Look at it closely. We shall not find any charge. This is their conclusion. After doing the research, no charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. May this be true of you and me. They knew that the only law that Daniel would break would be the one that went against the law of his God. They knew him as a man of deep conviction and serious commitment. They knew there was one thing that Daniel would hold fast to. Everything else, Daniel was able to have a loose grip. But this one thing Daniel was going to hold fast to, and that would be the law of his God. Don't think that Daniel's deep conviction was held because of his great love for the Medo-Persian Empire. He just loved being a governor. He might have liked it. But I believe he held fast and he had these convictions because of his deep love for God. Daniel's faithfulness to the country was a byproduct of his faithfulness to God. Does that make sense? And as a Christian, holding fast, this ought to be true of us in everything we do. That we go all out, all in, and it is because of our deep conviction and commitment and motivation by our love for the Lord. Make sense? So he held fast by his reputation. Number two, you can note it down. He held fast by his habits. He held fast by his habits. Look there in verse 6, and we'll read down to approximately verse 15. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to, thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any, any god or man for 30 days Except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. These 
then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the, the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man shall, uh, you know, you get the gist. Then the king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Verse 13. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition, petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Well, it is at this last statement that these co-workers of Daniel began to set in motion their plot to get rid of him for good. We're told that they come in before the king and they come as this collective group. But they have these hidden motives and this, these unseen agendas. And right away, if you just read it like we just did, it's clear they are sweet-talking the king. You know, when you want something from mom or dad and so you start complimenting them, right? Wow, dad, you're just, you're just looking strong today. Just like, just like a leader, leader of the home. Or I don't know, I don't know how you compliment your dad. Uh, mom, the dinner was so good. Uh, and you begin to sweet-talk them. Because you know, you know, you begin to, they begin to work their magic. You want to give them a, a big head. And that's what they were doing right with the king. And so they come and they present this royal decree that whoever petitions any other god except Darius shall be put into the den of lions. Now this was an obvious play on the king's pride. Remember, the, remember what we've talked about with Nebuchadnezzar. The king of that day thought of himself as a god. That's why Nebuchadnezzar put up that huge image of himself that he commanded people to worship. And so upon hearing this, the king was like, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Where do I sign? Not thinking of Daniel, his best governor. Now, this is where we get to the key verse uh, of our time tonight. And it's verse 10. We're told that as he does this, he hears the writing that he goes home. Now, I don't think that Daniel did this out of spite. I, I don't think that Daniel did this to be rebellious. I don't think he was trying to stick it to the guys that made this decree. From the text, what I gather is that Daniel simply was doing what he always had done. Remember, he's in his 80s. It was nothing new. He didn't change his routine. He didn't alter his habit. Daniel goes up to his upper room in his house as he always did. He would open the windows toward Jerusalem as he always did, longing to be in his homeland. He would kneel down as he always did. He would do this three times each day as he always did. He would pray and give thanks to God as he always did. Are you guys getting the idea? This was not something new for him. He didn't hear the decree and then change his habits. He had his habits, the decree went, and he just did what he had always done. You guys know what a custom is, right? That's what this says. This was as his, was his custom since early days. A habit, a routine. Daniel's early days are recorded for us in that first chapter of what Pastor David taught on. And now some 50 or 60 years later, Daniel has held fast to that predetermination that he made. That purposing in his heart, that moment of I am not going to defile myself no matter what comes, has made it through four pagan kings and two godless kingdoms. And he's held fast. I want you to note this down. Daniel's early days affected his later days. Daniel's early days affected his later days. If you don't think that what you do right now, like I'm just 12, 
only 13. Once I get an adult, like, I'll really start to walk with the Lord. And then I'll start to serve him. Then I'll get that habit, that routine, that custom. Your early days will affect your later days. Can God redeem? Totally. But do you want to be someone who holds fast to the things of God? To not be the Ryan Leaf, but be the Paint Manning? To be able to, to, to go, not just be a letdown, but to hold fast. This is why we want you to establish an allotted time with the Lord each day. You guys did devotions this morning. It's not something we just want you to do up here. I'm hoping that your leaders shared with you uh, maybe how they do devotions or share with you what that time should look like. If not, then maybe you'll get some of that tomorrow. The longer you wait, everyone look at me. The longer you wait, the harder it will be to establish in your life. I'm just so busy. You are the least busy you will ever be in your life. Trust me. Okay? And if you can establish it now, every day you wait, every year you wait, it will get harder. The quicker you start, the more that you will allow God to create in you a habit, a routine, where no matter what happens or what decrees happen or what goes on with our insane country and our crazy world that Jesus needs to come back and get us out of here, we don't know how long that is. Do we want him to come? Yes. But could he delay? Yes. And you and I are going to have to live here. And we're going to have to hold fast. And of course, this was the setup, right? Daniel walked right into it, and he did so intentionally. Not out of this rebellious spirit, but an obedient one. And look, whether the decree was given or not, what would have Daniel done that day? I want you to note this down. The circumstance and situations of life didn't determine his action. The situation didn't determine his action. His actions were determined 60 years ago when he established this purposing in his heart. And even probably before that, as Tate was talking about today, when he, there were still young boys, right, the, boys, the, the boy band, boys from Judah. This is the key. I want you guys to really hear me. This is the key to hold fast. Is that your grip doesn't change. Your actions, your routine, nothing will stop you. Because you've already determined. So when that decree comes, listen, we might be, you, in your lifetime, in our country, might be a time when a decree goes out. And if you think that then you'll change your habits, then you cha you'll change your custom, you won't. You just won't. You'll go with it. But if you establish the customs and habits in your life now, there will be nothing that will change that course. And so the men, of course, they gathered together. They waited for Daniel to do his thing. And it was, you know, right away they, they take it before the king and they, and they tattletale on Daniel. And, and so we're told that when the king hears this, he's greatly displeased. Uh, he's displeased with himself. And we're told that the king sets his heart from this point on. Notice the verses that we just read, verses 14 and 15, that the king, Darius, not a believer, Okay? He sets his heart from, he, he works until sunset to make this happen. Now, notice, right, we, we, we've read that a couple times now where it's like, you know, the, the, the decree cannot be changed according to the law of the, uh, the uh, Medo-Persian Empire. Okay, so from what we can gather from ancient history, the decrees of a Persian king were unchangeable because... He was thought to speak for the gods, okay? And, and the gods, they could never be wrong, and so thus they never needed to change their minds. And so, Darius, are you a god or not? And so he had to stick with his word. And so because of this, what does Daniel do? I want you to note it down. Daniel displays obedient disobedience. 
Daniel displays obedient disobedience. Did you, did you catch it? Obedient disobedience. This is exactly what we read this morning in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. This is what Peter and John did. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Listen, there are times, not all the time, but times when disobedience to the government is obedience to God. But when and if that time comes, it is never to be done out of a rebellious spirit. We, we don't do it in spite, but we do it because we have these holy habits in our life. And because we're holding fast to the Lord and to his word, they're not going to change. It's rather simple. Daniel went home as he always did, went up and he kneeled and he prayed. I don't think he prayed louder. I don't think he put the, the windows out uh, any, any more than he did. He just did what he always had done. And this is where we begin to see great insight into Daniel's influence on this pagan king. Where he began wanting to free Daniel. And this brings us to our final point, which is the third way we see Daniel holding fast to the end. He holds fast by his faith. Verses 16 through 28. Verse 16, so the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his Lord, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Look in your Bibles. Read along with me. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel, then the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury was found on him, notice, because he believed in his God. And so the king, he had to give the go-ahead, right? He gives the go-ahead, they throw Daniel into the den of lions, but then notice what the king says. Your God, whom you serve continually. So he knows about Daniel's God. He knows that Daniel serves him continually. And now he has some confidence that, hey, he's going to deliver you. These, I, I want you to think about this. These are the words of a pagan king who is the ruling superpower of the world. Daniel's service to God was something that the king was aware of. And by Daniel's example, Daniel's faith was contagious now do i believe darius uh, was a believer of god in this moment no he says your god right he doesn't say my god but there's some convincing there there's some there's some contagious faith that we see the king i love how the king says this so matter of a fact right he doesn't say i hope he delivers you the king had this type of assurance but it wasn't because he had faith Daniel's faith was lived out in his way so much that people that didn't even know the same God was, was convinced of Daniel's God's power. How about that? Do you live in a way where your faith transfers to others in your life? Do people know your God? Or is it kind of just something hidden? Uh, would, would people be surprised like, oh, you went to a church? I didn't know you go to church. 
people that know you or around you. You see, Daniel's faith was lived out in such a way where he not only, this, this pagan king knew his God, uh, knew about him, uh, knew that Daniel served him, and even had some confidence because of Daniel's faith of his power and ability. That's pretty cool, right? So it's at this point, right, the, the stone is brought and, uh, to the opening of the cave, and uh, the signet ring shows it, and king goes back to his palace, spends all night fasting, not eating, uh, we're told that no musicians come to him like they normally would, that, that the king couldn't even sleep. And so early in the morning, he hurries to the den of lions, and uh, he comes to the opening, and he cries, and right, he says, uh, he says Daniel, are, are you alive? Like, did, did your God do it? And Daniel responds, even shows his loyalty to the king there, O king, live forever. And he tells the king that his God had sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions, and we know the story. It's awesome. He tells him that he isn't hurt, and he tells him because God found him innocent before God and the king, and so we're told that the king rejoices. He's exceedingly glad. They bring Daniel out of the den. There's no injury, and look back at verse 23. What are we told? Because he believed in his God. It was his faith that God honored and sent the angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel's faith was lived in a way that it made others who didn't believe in God believe in his God. The king goes on, we don't, we don't have time to read it, but if you go on and read the chapter, you can kind of notice it. The king goes on to make a decree that men must tremble and fear at the God of Daniel. And then if you notice at the end of the chapter, he even writes some awesome things about who God is. He is the living God, verse 26, steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one. These are the words of a king who does not believe for himself personally. Now, it's easy to say that we would all do the same. I would not eat. I would not bow. I would pray no matter what. I would, I would, I would go and pray whether someone told me or not. I would not bow even if everyone else was, right? Or Daniel chapter 1. I would not eat. I would, I would follow the Lord. But I want, be, before we are so quick to say that. We need to ask ourselves a question. If now our obedience to God is still obedience to the government, yet we disobey God, what makes us think that when our obedience now is disobedience to the government that we will obey? Does that make sense? Meaning now, if it is easy, in a sense, to obey God, that really what we do is, you know, we, I'm not worried. It's not been a thought that, you know, uh, that the SWAT team is going to come and shut us down tonight. That's not a thought in my mind. So in our life, if there's disobedience to God now, why would we not bow then? Why, why would we not give in then? If we don't hold fast when it's easy, why do we think we will hold fast when it's hard? If you aren't willing to stand for Jesus now, just within maybe some, it could be something simple, and you just don't want, you're kind of nervous to tell them about your faith. If we aren't willing to stand for Jesus now, why would we stand for him then? We must not wait. We must start the habit of holiness now. We must hold fast now, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Listen, if you go down this mountain not holding fast to the things of God, you will drift away. You won't be, you know, uh, so far so quickly. It'll be slowly, but it'll be surely. You will surely but slowly just drift away. You're like, I'm not that far away. I'm not that bad. And just a couple years down the line, you'll be farther than you ever thought you would be. Revelation 3.11 says, Behold, 
I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Anyone, any guesses on who said this? Yeah. Jesus. Jesus said this. Behold, I am coming quickly. But until I come, hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. These are the words of Christ. Well, as we begin to, to wrap this up tonight, how do we truly hold fast, right? We've been, you've heard me even tonight say the two words, hold fast, more than you could possibly count. Uh, we're, we're looking at it on the sweatshirts. Every message has had these two words. How do we do this? How do, how do we make sure when we go home that Monday doesn't hit us and we get back into the unholy routines that we had before we came up and we don't implement and replace them with the holy habits we need to have in our life how do we do it it's this it's when we recognize that our ability to hold fast hinges on jesus's ability to hold fast to us i want you to i want you to listen to this when we recognize that our ability to hold fast does not hinge on our power but on jesus's power to hold fast Listen, John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. This whole camp, we've been talking about our decision to hold fast. And we need to have that decision moment, which some of you have made last night. Some of you made this morning. And we need to have those moments. But what I want to end tonight on is actually not talking about a decision that you're making tonight. I simply want you to rest in the reality that if tonight you would say, I want to hold fast, sweet. You did that this morning, you did that last night. Then let's rest in the fact that if we have that desire, Jesus will see us through. John chapter 10 verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my what? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We are not only in God the Father's hand, we are not only in His hand, but we are, in what Jesus tells us, is in His hand. Meaning that God's got us. And what I don't want you thinking is that you, you just got to try hard so much every single day, and you just got to hold fast and, and, and don't let go. You're going to fail if you do that. But if you can just rest and rejoice and revel and be excited about the fact that Jesus says, I won't let you go. That no one is able to peel back the fingers of my grip because you're mine. You made a decision, yes. But God says, I We'll see you through. Worship team, you can come up. I don't want you to put your stuff away yet. I want to share an old hymn with you. You guys know what a hymn is? I want you to note down this hymn, uh, just the title of it, and look at it later. This hymn is entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. You can hit the lights. I want you to not put your stuff away yet, but just close your eyes. I want everyone's eyes closed. I want you to really listen to the words of this hymn. Close your eyes. No one's putting away their stuff. Sit completely still. Listen. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him, at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. 
Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Father, we come before you tonight, not in the power of our own strength, not in the ability to to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and just grip harder. We don't come to you with that. We come to you with the decision of wanting, but knowing that our power only comes from you. And Lord, the only way that we can hold fast to you is if we are coddled up into your hand. Lord, we want to be nowhere else tonight except what that verse said in John chapter 10. Lord, we, don't, we know that the best place to be is in your presence. We don't want to be anywhere else. We know that it is you who works in us to willing to do for your good pleasure. We're trusting the promises of scripture that that you say that if you started a work in us, that you will be faithful to complete it in us. That even when we are without faith, you remain faithful. God, we bank on you. Lord, we rely on you as, Lord, we go back down this mountain tomorrow. The only way that this works is by you. It's you who will hold us fast when our faith fails. It is you who will hold us fast when we feel like we have no hope left, when we feel like we have failed. Bring us back to the reality that we are placed in your hand and your grip will not fail. God, we pray as we just spend time in your presence tonight as we worship you that you would solidify these things in our hearts. As David prayed, that you would create in me a steadfast 